Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Sridhar Cowdley. He's a research manager working on communications and networking technologies at the Department of Homeland Security's Science and Technology Directorate. Sridhar, thanks for joining me. Well, thank you for the opportunity to speak to you. So first, I just wanted to kind of level set here and, and ask, you know, why is DHS interested in general in 5G and mobile technologies? And, and how is that driving the activities that you're working on at the DHS S&T Directorate? Okay, so uh, a few things in the background. Um, the first thing is DHS S&T is responsible for doing R&D for not just DHS components, but for first responders nationwide. So uh, as as communication networks are needed to support all of those agencies, whether it's CBP or TSA, Coast Guard, or any of the responders nationwide, they all use these technologies. So obviously we have a need to roll this out in a responsible manner to make sure it's secure, safe, available, and we can sort of extract the the, the goodness of these technologies without exposing ourselves to vulnerabilities and risk. So one of the things that, that we are looking at is um, what capabilities can you derive out of 5G? And it is another G, but we think of it as a fundamental shift in that um, it's not just the fact that you are, you know, you're getting 100 times the capacity or the bandwidth uh, and, and much reduced latency, you know, 10 times but it enables a whole host of applications and capabilities that we wouldn't have been able to do before, uh, such as AR, VR for training. You know, if you have high latency, you cannot do those kinds of activities because it, it doesn't facilitate augmented reality or virtual reality, especially for training activities. So that's key. The other thing that we're looking at is, you know, massive integration of devices and sensors. That interests us because if you look at IoT in smart cities, if you look at um, sensors and platforms that exist, we're looking at five to 10 years out and saying, how is this going to look? How is it going to feel if you're trying to cross a border and you have millions or 100,000 sensors in the border that is doing everything from tracking people or goods? You know, that's why we're looking at it. The question is, how do we do that securely and safely and efficiently? Because we think it's 5G is not just going to change how we do business. It's actually going to change the processes of, of how we deploy people. How does cargo inspection work? How does you know, vehicle inspection work? Things like that. Great. And that's, that's a very broad set of use cases, potential use cases. And, but you mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, first responders and how they're one of your, your customers. And, and I wanted to ask yeah. about that. You know, what does the evolution from 4G to 5G mean specifically for public safety? How does that kind of affect what they're buying and how they're building their mobile communications environments going forward? So that is a great question. Uh, this is a moving target. If you encounter first responders who say, hey, I need 5G, um, that's a difficult question. You don't need 5G. What is it that you really want to do, right? So, so it's, it's not a question of, well, I need another G. It's, it's okay, what do you want to do? If you talk to Border Patrol agents who are in the middle of nowhere, a Coast Guard, you know, uh, they're, on, they're on boats and doing patrol, any G would work for them. <laughs> They have no communications. You know, that's that's one issue. The other issue is as we roll out these additional capabilities, you know, how is it going to impact them? We need we need to un- fully understand that. And whether it's artificial intelligence, I'll, I'll give you a great use case, right? We think 
that 5G and, and the capability to consume large amounts of data to extract metadata might be a great application for communications, such as if I have tons of sensors out there, I've got a responder going into a building. If I have 5G capabilities in smart cities, I will know where people are. I will know where the exits are. I may even have building plans that come up on my on my AR VR gear. So I, you know, just looking through my Google Glass or or whatever the the application is, I'm now able to see the building plans or the floor plans. And if you pivot to NG911, you know, the telecommunicators that handle calls are, you know, they're basically traumatized with handling calls to begin with. But now imagine they're getting video and text and images and multimedia feeds. We also need AI at that edge to start looking and processing it so that, you know, can we extract metadata and only give them the bare minimum or deliver the the video content in a very concise and efficient manner that it doesn't overwhelm them or overload them. We are happen to be doing research on that as a matter of fact. That's another project that we are running. Yeah, I mean, there's that great promise of all these different sensors and and all these new connections, but of course that means there's all this data flying around that you have to somehow sort through. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about how how you you might be working on that issue, whether it's you know NG nine one one or otherwise? I think several a few years ago um, we were working with um, uh, and, and forgive me, I don't remember the the actual the acronym, but we called her Audrey, which was the assistant for the first responder, and it was an AI engine that would be deployed to take the information that was sort of flooding in to the responder and only delivering specifically his requirements. So it would learn that, oh, you're a fire. So I don't need, you know, person of interest. I don't need those things. I'm more worried about other chemical devices that are triggered. You know, is there a chemical gas there? The building's on fire, you know, where are the exit points? So whatever those alerts are, that's what would be delivered to me. So sort of automatic filtering. And we actually developed that in concert with uh, Jet Propulsion Labs out of Pasadena again. So we actually use and leverage these capabilities. And so we think some sort of AI at the edge on the physical responder himself, you know, is one way to go. And 5G would make that possible because you're now able to provide high speed relevant data in with very low latency. You know, that's sort of, you know, one application of where 5G may play a role. Got it. And of course, if a first responder is going to be relying on an application like that, then they're also going to have to know that it's it's secure. It's it's not going to be sending them funny data or something like that. And it's it's also resilient. It's going to work when they need it to work. So how, how are you ensuring that these kinds of technologies are going to be just that secure and resilient as you're rolling them out in these really kind of sensitive, high priority environments? So a couple of things. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't highlight one of our key components is the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA. And they're leading uh, my migration efforts for people to transition to 5G, including looking at security and resiliency and everything, including supply chain. So one of the things that we are working very closely with them is we've actually conducted several research projects on trying to identify and how do we secure 5G as well as mobile devices. Um, several years ago, we actually did a, a very comprehensive survey and understanding of how to secure mobile applications. 
and it was it was very well received in industry. And so we're now looking at 5G and looking at supply chain, looking at the risk. So the risk is two things, right? One is from physical attacks, um, whether it's on the spectrum side and or uh, on the actual infrastructure. Couple of things happen with 5G uh, be- because of densification. You have a lot more access points that you will need to put out for 5G. So now the physical attack vector becomes much, much bigger, the attack surface. So that's something of concern. The other is, you know, 5G, the promise is there, but what happens if you start losing 5G? What happens, you know, how do you devolve so that you don't go from 5G to nothing, but you very, very carefully and appropriately degrade your services so that you can still get your message? ST is also doing a bunch of work with a lot of folks on doing a TDOS attack on Spectrum. So, um, you know, have jammers set up and see how it performs against, against first responder communications as well as commercial technologies, because we as first responders rely on 4G, 5G commercial technologies. We're not like the DOD where we bring our own stuff and bring our own Spectrum. So we're actually doing an event next year and we're bringing a whole bunch of responders to say, okay, how do you make yourself more resilient? And whatever we learn and and whatever we educate will not only help during interference uh, situations, but also in general situations where, you know, how do you build resiliency for a Super Bowl event? Or, you know, you have to develop your primary alternative contingency and emergency plans. So we're sort of educating them and we're partnered with CISA to do that. Got it. Yeah. And you mentioned the Super Bowl event, a lot of users trying to access the network and of course, first response teams that need access to that network in the, in the case of an emergency mm-hmm. or maybe even, you know, a, a hurricane or something like that, where, where there's, there's an event where everyone's trying to access the network. And of, of course, for, first responders need that too. You know, are there promising techniques? Are there pitfalls and challenges in, in, as you transition to this more interconnected environment in working through some of those kind of high capacity network challenges? How how might you be working on that? So we actually are working very closely with a number of agencies, including including DOD as well as FirstNet. Uh, Obviously, FirstNet provides the capability. And I think think some of the other networks are also starting to look at how do you provide prioritized services so you shed the load so that highly prioritized traffic gets through. So really, our partnership with FirstNet allows us to do that. We're actually actively engaged in looking at how how do those applications work in highly contested environments. Those are things of concern, and we're certainly looking at those, but not only on the congested environment, but we're also looking at are they interoperable? Are they conforming to certain standards? Because that's another huge issue that, that we are seeing is that um, there are tons of applications out there that are directed at first responders, and not all applications are created equal in that they are not interoperable. So you could potentially have a situation where, you know, you're both on an LTE system, but you 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 meet at an incident and you find out that you can't communicate because I'm using different apps. So we have to kind of resolve those techniques and capabilities to make sure everyone can talk nearly all the time. But I will tell you, first responders are so, it's humbling to work with them. It really is. These guys are amazing. You know, if their radio doesn't work, they put everything aside and they just go. They do their mission. So it's very humbling to work with these guys. 
they're, they're creative, you know, because they have a mission. Mission comes first. Sure. No, and I, I think one of the projects you're working on is the Project 25 Compliance Assessment Program, right? Where you're making sure that that digital communications equipment is, is interoperable and they'll be able to communicate when they need to, right? Yeah, that's another project. And, and remember the NG911 project that we kind of talked about before, the certification program? I sort of modeled that program um, from the P25 program. The P25 program has existed, I think, for about eight or 10 years. And virtually all the radios that go that are being bought with federal grant dollars are directed towards making sure that they're buying off the list that ST publishes on our website. And those equipment that is that is in our grant eligible list on our website are our key fundamental equipment that has gone through a rigorous test. And we actually receive the reports and we review them so that the entire ecosystem is we want people to go to Project 25 as the standard compliant solution to ensure interoperability. Does it guarantee? No, but it gets us about 90% there. We still have to work on, on encryption keys and making sure that those keys are, are compatible so that when you can talk, you can, you can actually communicate and share ideas and information. So the P25 is, is a great project, and, and we have actually partners across the nation who actually buy off a, a contract that 40 out of 50 states buy uh, equipment that's only on our list. That's the first thing they, they check is to make sure that they are, the equipment is on the list. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great success story when it comes to interoperability, I'm sure. And you've teased it out a couple of times now, so I definitely want to get into it. But next generation 911, mm-hmm. I think we all kind of take for granted that we can take our phone when we need to, dial 911, and we're going to get to an emergency operator. But that infrastructure that kind of underlies that is aging a little bit, right? And we're kind of shifting to NG 911. What goes into the, the security and, and resiliency of you know a network like that and, and what are you working on there so we have been working with sisa again uh, on a couple of technologies to verify but what we want to do is secure the ng911 so the ng911 resides on a ip backbone type infrastructure and so technologies that we're putting into place we're looking at those uh, looking and addressing you know everything from deep fakes to to spam or robocalls. And again, I've got colleagues at DHS ST who are working on justice these projects. And we have several solutions that are being rolled out now to actually identify TDOS and robocalls on NG911 systems. That's one aspect of it. The second aspect that we're looking at is migrating that to a fully IP multimedia backbone. So we are looking for malicious content as well as potential information embedded within videos that may be fake or artificial. So we are looking at, at addressing those. Again, it's still early in the game, but we are we are working very, very hard to cover those ideas and capabilities. And you know, we we haven't even talked about a whole other subset of your customers yet, which is the the folks within DHS and, and the various agencies. Mobile devices are are kind of a, a fact of life now at the federal government with this shift to remote work during the pandemic, and you know maybe smartphones and tablets are went from nice to have to kind of need need to have must haves during this time. What are you working on to ensure that those tech those devices and those those networks are are secure as they're used more broadly across DHS and other agencies into the future? So again, we have been working with CISA a lot 
on this. You know, authentication of devices. We are working with with folks on that. We're also working with DoD, and and there are a number of R and D efforts on their side because they also want security. So so one of the things that that we are using and looking at is partnerships with a number of agencies and leveraging what they can do. So the idea and the construct is we don't we're not going to go at it alone. We're leveraging their investments. Um, for example, DOD, I think, is investing potentially uh, millions of dollars uh, along with NSF. And so we are partnering with them and looking at, you know, how do we deploy 5G? How do we secure 5G? How do we look at securing the infrastructure? I mean, there are there are a number of research projects within ST. One is on identity credential and access management to make sure that folks who are accessing the network are who they are in terms of how do you credential them, how do you authorize them? And and that goes into the whole gamut of how do you share data? You know, if you have a multi-jurisdictional response, how are you going to work together to share the data? So we have a number of research projects, um, both with commercially and academia, and we will be piloting those. So we're looking at it from that perspective. We're looking at it, um, you know, ensuring also following NIST guidelines, making sure people are doing that. You know, NIST has some great publications on on uh, cybersecurity, and we want to make sure that those are being followed. On the NG911, uh, we kind of mentioned this a little bit before, but one of our one of our projects is actually looking at doing a self-assessment and make sure that that jurisdictions who have NG911 systems can verify and go through the process. I know FirstNet is working on that diligently. They're looking at things like how do you sign on? Because it's a trade-off, right? You can't you can't have your phone locked every time. Somebody's running into a fire, they can't be looking at their phone to try to log in again. You know, sort of a sort of a dual role, but you have to kind of take care of that. On P25, we know what we do, right? We we literally can can take a phone and brick it over the air. We want to do similar things. Actually, CISA put out a, a great project on uh, mobile data management of how to control and manage and deployed fleet of, of handsets. And there's a lot of work out there already that was published. In fact, I think we even gave a congressional report on it. So it's sort of a not a one-shot thing. It, it's, it's a work in progress, and we're sort of addressing it on all fronts. Sounds like partnerships are key here for you guys. Are you working with other agencies or partners on any other advanced communications projects? We have a number of projects and efforts that we are looking at that would be of interest. For example, we're working very, very closely with DOD, NSF, NTIA, and all those folks. We work together uh, as a cross-federal enterprise to develop the NTIA's document that was published. So it was a, it was a collaborative effort across federal enterprise. It was a nationwide implementation to secure 5G, is to basically um, provide uh, U.S. companies and capabilities a uh, sort of a shot in the arm to our, not only our marketplace, but, uh, but the ecosystem for 5G for U.S. industries and, and uh, researchers. We're also working with very, very closely with a number of other partners across the nation to leverage what they were doing. We're very focused on interoperability, looking at, you know, you have all these sensors. How do you know that all the sensors can talk? You know, it seems like every jurisdiction may have their own situational awareness platform, whether it's, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with those, but Tablet Command 
you know, comes to mind, Intrepid. There's a whole bunch of like situational awareness platform that shows where your people are. It does everything, you know, you have all these applications, but they don't always work the same way. And if you have a whole host of sensors, can those sensor data be absorbed? So DHS actually put out an integration handbook that tells people how to develop and, and what standards to use so that we at least have a framework for some sort of compatibility. And, and those are things that we will be looking at because what we can't have is every jurisdiction go off on their own and not have access to all the data that could potentially be available. So interoperability and compatibility are gonna be key moving forward, leveraging existing assets for efficiencies and deployment scenarios. Those are all key drivers for S&T. All right, Sridhar Cowley, thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for your time, Justin. Again, that was Sridhar Cowley, Program Manager at DHS's Science and Technology Directorate. I'm your moderator, Justin Doubleday, and you're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search the future of connectivity.